Menomena. Do 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 do. Menomena. Do 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 do. Menomena. Do 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 do. Hello and welcome to All Lockdown How We Laughed with today's special guest, uh, Michael Monkhouse, all the way from Rome and Italy. Um, <laughs> Michael's been doing a lot of online gigs and he runs uh, one of Rome's few English-speaking open mics called the Farm Comedy Club in Rome. When you know, in the before times and hopefully the after times as well. Um, I've done a lot of gigs with Michael since about, I think about June this year or something, June? Yeah, so I think yeah. Of, I think maybe, yeah. I don't know, something yeah, around about early, early lockdown period, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, we, we gigged together quite a lot. We actually just done a gig together last night for um, Kim Nash's yeah. Reckless Comedy Podcast. Um, well, fundraiser thing was quite good. Um, and without much more waffle from me, I'll just hand you over to Michael and let you tell a bit about myself. How are you doing, Michael? Oh, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, so. it's good. So I wasn't, I wasn't laughing at you before. I just, I always think it's funny when people say all the way from Italy, because this is Zoom, so I could be in the next room yeah. for all the effort yeah. I've made. Do you know what I mean? It's like, all the way from Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, don't, huge don't, don't puncture my international man of misery reputation. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm positive, trying, I'm trying yeah. to make it sound like you're coming, you're Beaming in, you could be beaming in from outer space, not the <laughs> like next satellite. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I brought you live by a satellite today's interview with Michael. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 48. I'm 48 years old. I remember when that was exciting. I remember when videos were exciting, yeah. Yeah, man, uh, videos were exciting. Videos were brilliant. There was a good few documentaries. And I, I remember, I, I'm so old, I remember when I was about nine, my, my teacher, he, he ran into the room and he was so animated and he was talking about the video. I said, oh my God, there's this wonderful new invention. You can watch it at any time. Any t- if, if you miss it, you can watch it later or you can watch something on the other channel and record it and you then can, watch it again and again and again. Yeah. And you can you go out like and today. leave it recording. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. What are things you can do with technology, you know what I mean? So, I mean, wonderful. VHS wasn't a great format, like, but the world it was really, massive. It wasn't, it wasn't a good format, though. It was a very, very cheap format, which is why it overtook Betamax. I, I remember cartridges. Do you remember cartridges for the car? Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my dad had a Wings, Paul McCartney and Wings cartridge. I think that's the saddest combination <laughs> in the English language, Wings and a cartridge. Beatles CD, perhaps, but, you know, Wings cartridge, that's kind of... I think it was Red Rose Speedway, one of those crappy albums he was knocking out in the early 70s, you know. I remember seeing, like, um, YouTube videos on Tomorrow's World before, like, yeah. um, CDs came out, and it was, they, they were fucking battering them with hammers and scraping nails across them and all that. And yeah, you can do all these yeah, things to a CD and it doesn't damage the format at all. Yeah, yeah but the, the strange thing is that you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to do that to a CD anyway. I mean, if you're the kind of person... It's not the best bang- idea if you're looking for sound quality, you know? Yeah, it's like I bought a CD. Look what I can do! I've just destroyed it. Yeah. But they, they thought they, they thought the CD was this format that was basically indestructible for some reason. So they you know yeah. set out to prove yeah, well, it. Well, that was well, the the idea was because it was twice the price of vinyl, so they had to have something to sell it. Because I, I I don't. It's like with John Lennon. You know, like John Lennon, they just have the new uh, compilation every single time. You know, the sound quality is even better. It's yeah. you know you you can't improve on perfection. But every two years, there's another John Lennon compilation. It's exactly the same stuff I've bought a hundred times. Oh, but the sound quality. You, you can hear him cough at, at two minutes and 12 seconds. You can hear him scratch his ass. It's wonderful, you know, <laughs> big deal. Yeah, man, do you know something like, what, what I would like to hear from John Lennon is some more of the 
offcuts, like the, the ad-libs between songs and stuff like that, because he was quite a witty I've, guy. I've got loads of stuff like that, because the thing yeah. is, it's, it's kind of boring now, because it's all on YouTube, you know, I, I yeah. remember used to, like, dig this stuff out, I've got hundreds of old CDs of John Lennon, you know, going through Imagine for the three millionth time, and it's, it was actually <laughs> fun. No, but it was fun, it's like, uh, when I was a kid, you used to go down to the market, it would take me an hour to get there. And you'd save up your money and you'd buy one of these beautifully packaged Beatles albums and, you know, and play yeah. it. And now you just open YouTube, you get the whole stuff there, but it's boring. I know. It's, there, there's, there's no fun. There's no sense of accumulation or achievement or sharing it with your friends. It's just like, boom, there it is. We're essentially just two old guys complaining about modern technology. You realise this? Well, yeah. <laughs> pornogra- well, the, the classic example is pornography, you know. Pornography used to be a mission. You know, so, so it took you the whole week, you know, pluck up your courage to buy it, find a place to hide it. That's why it was exciting, you know. <laughs> you could just chance up on uh, a, a copy of Razzle stuff My, underneath um, that bush. When, when I was, oh, yeah, it used to sort of emerge magically from under bushes and places <laughs> yeah. like that, didn't it? And like, Pages you know. mysteriously stuck together. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that was, yeah. but um, <laughs> No, because my, my friend, uh, it was my best friend, right? And you can say best friend when you're 15. You can't say it now. It's a bit strange. But um, I remember my, my first ever porn mag, he bought it for me because I was too scared. And he didn't even look at it first. He just, and I think, I think that's a real friend. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you're 15 you get all this shit like let's study physics or a nice school type you want a porno don't you you know there, there are only so many bangles pinups you can jerk off to you know so, yeah, yeah. or space girls yeah but that was later I was an 80s boy <laughs> I, th- I think this is the first ever time I've done a show and someone has mentioned the Spice Girls before me yeah well so well done <laughs> you're getting a reputation for it I know but you know I'll tell you something funny <laughs> about the Spice Girls just- did, did I tell you uh, the proudest moment of my life? Did I tell you that? No. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, we, we were doing a show about 10 years ago, and uh, the atmosphere, it's absolutely true, the atmosphere was really tense and nervous because no one knew anyone else. Yeah. And the stage always freaks you out, do you know what I mean? And so it was all sort of awkward and quiet. And then this American guy on the other side of the room, he sees me and he goes, hey, you're the guy that jerks off to Mel C, right? <laughs> It was the perfect icebreaker, you know. But I'll, I'll tell you something funny about this Spice Girls thing. Um, it actually started as a joke, right? Um, because my, my favourite show, as, as you know, uh, my favourite show was The Young Ones. I, I was The Young Ones uh, obsessive when I was younger. I still think it's great. Yeah. And I always thought it was very, very funny in The Young Ones that Rick, you know, Rick, he considers himself an anarchist and, you know, really out there and, you know, I'm so hard. But he's obsessed with Cliff Richard. Yeah. And I, I always thought, you know, like Cliff Richard is the least rock and roll, rock and roll. And I always thought that contrast was very, very funny. And I just thought it would be funny for a middle-aged, balding, slightly alcoholic, as I was at the time, man, to be obsessed with a pop group. And it wouldn't be funny if that pop group was Led Zeppelin or the Rolling yeah. Stones. So I just I thought, thought it'd be funny to be obsessed. And um, no, nobody understood. So I now have this reputation for being a spice obsessive. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, well, so some people are famous for molesting children. So my conscience is clear here. Yeah. I actually had a joke that I've completely forgot about until this moment at the start of lockdown when I was just... I, I have about six million jokes about it. I think, I think all my jokes are about the Spice Girls. Yeah. Well, I've got one Spice Girls joke... Um, it was like at the start of lockdown, I was just putting out videos on Facebook basically before I found out about the Zoom scene and whatnot. And um, it was this many people haven't stayed at home since the last, since the last Spice Girls reunion. 
<laughs> I was very pleased about the Spice Girls reunion, yeah. But um, good well, times. Well, good times. Get me started on that. Um, no, I think we'll just leave that there. <laughs> I've got seven hours of Spice Girls material. So. Yeah, I'm sure you do. You can do them on our yeah. podcast. I've been, I've been very well behaved. Well, you, you, you started it. You brought it up. Yeah, it was getting out of the way early. Um, so how long have you actually been doing comedy? Um, that's a good question. Um, I've been doing it... Well, I, I first did comedy when I was at university. Um, I was at Cambridge and I, I was in Footlights, which means nothing. Because people think, oh, Footlights, you know, like Monty yeah. Python and the people. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a club. Anyone can join. Anyone can perform. Yeah. And I did uh, one show and it was all right. I mean, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. But I think the first time you do it, you know, you're, you're not, it's like anything. You're not going to be great first time. Yeah. And under the circumstances, I was satisfied because I thought it was going to be awful. And then the next term I did another show and it was good, but it was good because everybody was rooting for everybody else because we were trying to start a, a local TV station. So even if you were yeah. crap, they would just laugh and applaud. And then the third term i did another show for cambridge junction it was a short it was a sort of open audition night and it was terrible it was really really bad and i said i'd never do it again and what happened was i, I got booed off stage <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, that's my first laugh thank you no but it was, it was really my no like i'll explain what happened i'll explain what happened was um it was a sort of open audition to be an mc and the guy organizing it very stupidly in my opinion, very, very stupidly, he said, these people are auditioning in front of you to be an MC, so give them a hard time. Right. Give them a hard time. And he actually gave them these party poopers to blow the minute they heard something that you didn't like. So they, the audience were just being absolute arseholes from the beginning. And I got through about one minute before they were doing it. Was, it was like a kind of gong show atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, but it was worse, because at least the gong show, you know what you're in for. This was yeah. meant to be sort of, you know. And... Um, I, I, I got booed off after about 90 seconds and I said, I'm never doing this again. And I realized now it was very unfortunate that I had that experience because number one, I was very young. So these things can destroy you. Nowadays, I don't care. You have good shows and bad shows, doesn't matter. Yeah. But the other thing that I know now, which I didn't know then, is that it's not typical. I think most audiences want to have a good time. Um, you know, the, the idea that an audience, you actually encourage an audience to be negative, I think you're just asking for trouble. And um, I realise now it's not normal. That most it's, it's like going to a party. You don't go to a party and think, I hope this is shit. If you go out to see a, a comedy night, even if it's just open mic in a pub, you kind of want to have fun. And if, if you look at your audience as friends to be entertained, as opposed to yeah. the judges to be impressed, it's much easier. So I, I stopped doing it for literally years. And then I started doing it again here in Rome um, because I was my girlfriend. She told me to do it because um, uh, someone, I, uh, not a friend, I won't say friend, but I can't stand her actually. But anyway, <laughs> um, she was doing this, like, this good friend of mine, you know, uh, an acquaintance. Now, she, she was organizing an open mic show in Rome. And I told my girlfriend about it and she said, why don't you do it? And I said, I can't possibly do it because I, I did it once and I was shit. And she said, you know, you're always moaning that these things don't happen in Rome. So why don't you put your money where your mouth is and support it? Yeah. I said, all right. So I tried it and I was, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I thought it was going to be really tough. 
And I, I have to be honest, the minute I heard the first laugh, um, all the nerves and the horror just melted and actually started to enjoy it. You know, yeah. so I've, I've been doing it here in Rome for about 10 years, but you have to remember that 10 years in Rome is not like 10 years in London. Because in London, if you, you can do it practically every night if you want to. You know, yeah. um, in Rome, you're well, when I started, I was lucky to get one a month. So 10 years in Rome is like sort of 10 months in London. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So with, with lockdown, it's all changed. I'm doing loads of gigs, but originally I was doing like one a month if I was lucky. Yeah. You know, so it's 10 years, but it's not really 10 years. It's 10 Roman years. Yeah. Well, you do pop up now, you know, um, create a lot of the nights I do as well, you know, like. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. great, you know. I mean, it's, the the one good thing is that with all these pod, you know, podcasts and Zoom shows, you can you do practically a show a night. I mean, I've been doing. Yeah. There, there was once I did about seven shows in three days, which is the equivalent of seven months in Italy. Seven months work, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I, it's good I, because hmm? I I struggle um, with that. I can't I, I can't do um, that many gigs in a night. I just, I just can't do it. I, I actually done. You dropped out of a gig last night. It was um, yeah, when, when Trigger. Bontrager the first, am I, am I getting that yeah, right? Yeah, I know Bontrager. Yeah, was he good? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. It was funny because obviously we had to bring quotes. Like I brought, yeah. um, I brought a quote from Lou Reed, um, a, a quote from a comic, and a quote from Bethany and I. Uh-huh. And I can't remember the quotes. I, 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 I had to do a quote from the Blues Brothers, um, uh-huh. Henry Kissinger, and something else. But it was basically like working these quotes into your set. And I just, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I just, I just done the entire five minutes saying about how much I hate improv and prompts, and and then <laughs> literally, and then said something like, like these are the quotes I'm meant to say. Literally said the words, and then just yeah. you know tried out a couple of new jokes, and then went, can I go off now, please? Yeah, yeah. No, no. The reason, uh, the reason I didn't do it, I'm just knackered. I've been doing so many online shows, mm-hmm. and um, also I got my, my my girlfriend's getting a bit fed up with it because. Um, with lockdown, I've lost about 70% of my work um, teaching. And so she's been working overtime to make up for it. And yeah. uh, the few evenings I, we get free, I've been doing these shows. And I, I get very uptight about doing shows, so it kind of takes over. So I just thought, yeah. I'd already done two shows that day. I'd done two shows on Saturday, right? I'd done two shows on Sunday. I, I did a show this morning. I did another show this afternoon, but uh, there, there's a problem with the connection. I'm doing two shows tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's just getting too much. You don't enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, you, I mean, even though even though you're only like going out on Zoom and you're doing it in your house or whatever, there, there is still that prep. There is still that nerve. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. And, and it, there's still the high as well of, of doing really well. That's why I, I mean, so yeah. many people I really, I really like, respect, and admire of get good nights going in, in America, but they start yeah. at like three in the morning, and I mean, get getting the, the oh, post, yeah. getting yeah, the post gig nerves or. After that, well, never get yeah, I, I have to be honest though that um, the, the gig nerves with Zoom are about 10% of what they yeah, are doing, but they're like. still there, they're still there. Oh, yeah, know? I mean, there's the pressure to perform, you know, you have to, you know, give something, but um, I think I think it's also psychological because um, in Rome, the, the day is very, very long, and if you do an open mic show, you can there, there was one night I got up there at midnight because it was so long and so slow. And so it kind of takes over the whole day. You know, you, yeah. you finish work at six o'clock, maybe you don't have time to go home, so you're mucking around. And you're, you're, you're literally like just six hours waiting to do your five minutes. So yeah. those five minutes are really hectic. Whereas with Zoom, psychologically, you're at home, you just log on 10 minutes yeah. before. 
see what happens, you know. And if they don't laugh, maybe you can't just because you, you can't hear them, so it makes no difference. Yeah, but I mean, not, um, there's not just that. You've also got to sit and watch like seven other acts. Yeah, you know, and half yeah. the time you're not, you're not. I mean, you're not really concentrating on the ones immediately before and after your set. No, you know, no, no, no. And no, also, no. And little things start to annoy you, like you people, like somebody comes on, does a set early, and then they either log off entirely or they're sitting there with their mic and their camera turned off. Yeah, like yeah. That's, you're like that's no, not team spirit. You're fucked. You know? <laughs> yeah, there was one. Um, the the one time I told someone to fuck off. Um, we we had the open mic that uh, you mentioned before, Farm Comedy Club, and um, the important thing is that it's totally open, right? We could have anyone. We we I'm not yeah. exaggerating. We've we've had people off the telly who just want to keep practicing because yeah. there are opportunities, and we've had people doing it for the first time, um, struggling to read notes they're holding because their hands are shaking so much but that's what yeah. we want that's that's the kind of thing we want you know and um the the one time i told someone to fuck off because he was up there for 15 minutes going on and on and on and uh, we, we had said you know seven minutes uh, t- 10 minutes even 10 minutes is crazy but he just kept stopping going to his notes and starting again yeah and the other thing that annoyed me was that he brought his mates along and his mates were chatting through everyone else yeah, yeah, it's annoying. Yeah, but I mean, you have to remember though that in Rome, um, open mic comedy doesn't really exist. And what happens, um, I, I used to do these open mic shows, and I'm not exaggerating, you, you would probably get one person listening, right? Because people were not there for comedy. In Rome, a lot of people don't even know what stand up comedy is, they, they know what yeah. comedy is, they know what sketches are, things like that. And what happens was you'd normally get people up there doing music. Yeah. Right. And the audience would be there to listen to music and to chat. Now, if, if you're playing a song, like if you're doing a cover or a folk song or whatever, and um, people are chatting, you can't hear them because you're playing. And when you stop, people applaud automatically, right? Yep. And then I would get up and try and do the comedy. And like half of them were chatting, they weren't even listening. And then the other half, they were listening, but maybe there was a language problem because it was international. I was doing Italian, they're American, or I was doing in English, they're Italians. Then there's someone who um, understands what you're saying, but doesn't find it funny. Then there's someone who understands the language, but doesn't get the comedy. And you'd literally have just one person, you know, laughing and enjoying it. Um, But I, I kind of enjoyed that because it was more challenging. It was more rewarding. Do you know what I mean? Like there was one, no, there was one show that I, I did about five years ago and someone, I, again, not a friend, I'm not going to say friend, an acquaintance, um, he stopped doing it and I bumped into him. I said, you know, well, was it a conscious decision to stop doing that show or did you just sort of fade away? And he said, no, he said, I stopped doing it because everybody in that audience is a friend or a relative even a coach, you know, they, they coach yeah. you and they put you on stage. So they're supportive. And I know that even if I suck, they're going to laugh, give me the applause. Yeah. And he said, I'll stop doing it because I'm not developing. It's not, it's not doing me any good. That, that, that's a big problem in comedy, I think, especially in the open spot scene where it's like people that, people that could be doing better tend, tend to hit a plateau of mediocrity because they're being coached by their friends or... Their friends are laughing at everything they say, and you you, yeah, you get no gauge yeah. you get no gauge for how you're actually doing. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That's what I mean. So when when I did the open mic shows, if I heard people laughing, it was brilliant because I knew it was genuine. 
you know. Yeah. And the other thing, I think this is very interesting. The other thing that doing generic open mic taught me is uh, communication, right? Yeah. Because um, when, when I do shows with English people who know me, as you know, I have this kind of Spice Girls thing and it's got to the point where I just say Spice Girls and people laugh because they know it's part of my act. Yeah. And the first time I did a generic open mic with people that didn't know me, I started talking about the Spice Girls and they were just perplexed. What the fuck is he on about? Why is he talking about this girl band that went out of fashion 20 years ago? Yeah. And then they were shit. You know, and so it, it, it was important to that, that you're, you're, you're not sort of preaching to the converted, if you'll pardon the well, cliche. I think... Know, I think... The, the, I don't know if this is a, um, an actual, you know, phrase, but I think you can be get too post-referential. Like you can yeah. get, you get, if people are used to your reference points, you get too comfortable in that. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a catchphrase. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Catchphrase, because the the great thing about catchphrases is you can have your cake and eat it, because it's not funny in itself, but it's a guaranteed laugh. Yeah. I mean, I used I used to like I used to do that sort of thing for my, I I think my my set is too a too tightly structured and b too over rehearsed but not rehearsed over performed yeah. really but my, my whole set works really so i don't i don't know what the fuck i'm going to do but anyway um uh -huh. i used to, i used to do a lot of gigs with people that i gig with a lot and i would tweak my material to suit them like you know yeah. and I, or like i would do jokes that were basically extensions of previous jokes or callbacks to old shows that would have been the same yeah audience yeah. made up of the same comics and things and at one point i was i was literally wanting to go on the stage and be like, previously on Jimmy Longmuir, we established that I'm, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. fucking, and, 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 and the, the, comics that, the comics that, 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 that were behind me that liked my stuff or whatever would laugh, you know, but the audience are standing there going, who the fuck? Yeah, no, who that's, that's, that's exactly what yes? I mean. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I mean. So, like, with me, it was the same with the Spice Girls, you know, people who know me, it's funny, and with other people, it was like, so it, it taught me to be a bit, also, because like I said before, a lot of people, they don't really know what, um, what stand-up comedy is, but it was actually yeah. good for me. It, it toughened me up as a performer and it, it made me work, it, it, it kind of made me push myself a bit more, you know, try to communicate better, try mm -hmm. to be funnier, you know, cause I don't know, cause um, I have, um, I have one set that I call, I call by Joker and it's the set that I always do when I, when I do a new uh, venue. Um, and I, I do it for two reasons. Number one, I've done it so many times, I know it inside out. So I'm confident that I'm not gonna forget anything. But the other reason I do it is because it's accessible, yeah. right? There's nothing due, there's nothing, I don't, I don't just mean racist or sexist. I mean, there's nothing political, there's nothing about religion in it. And uh, whenever I do a new venue or a new Zoom gig, I always do that set. So I can kind of test the audience and see what they're like, you know, because yeah. it, it can happen that you prepare something really funny but something really vulgar. And then it's a new show and you get all these old age pensioners, all these kids and you can't do yeah. it. And you haven't got anything else prepared, so you just sort of panic, you know. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had a couple of bad gigs like that, but on the whole, my, my set works. I've had terrible so. gigs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, I, I don't really care about bad gigs anymore. I used to. Um, and I think it's, impor it's important to bomb and to learn to bomb, yeah. you know. Because when, when I first started doing comedy, um, I, I was talking to someone with more experience and they said, why don't you do it? And I said, because I, I see these people on the telly and they're great. And he said, everybody says that and it's totally wrong because if somebody's on the telly, number one, they're, they're playing to a phony medium. People on telly laugh at anything. I've, I've seen telly shows being recorded. The audience is pumped full of energy. 
yeah. before the guy. They, they, they even offer prizes for the person who laughs the loudest, you know, the producers going laugh. And he said, so don't worry about telly because it's a false medium. But the other thing you have to remember, if somebody's on the telly, they've been through a learning curve that you haven't even started yet. So of course they're better than you. Yeah. You know, he said, it's, it's like if you're 13 years old and you go to your careers advisor, I want to be an accountant. And he says, fuck off. I know a 90 year old accountant and he's great. You're shit. Of course you're going to be shit at first. And you just, you just learn to live with the failures. But I think, I think also, I, I think also it's, it's almost mathematical. Um, if you if you've done three shows and one of them's terrible, as happened to me, yeah. you think I am thirty three percent shit. Whereas if you do a hundred shows, you have a bad show. You don't really think about it because it's such a small percentage of what you've done, and you don't overanalyze. You think, oh, it's, you know, and I've I've had, I've had exactly the same material, you know, bomb and get rapturous, you know, reception. I did. It was, it's hilarious because I did a show with lockdown, um, I, I don't know why, but I, it just went really, really well. And I could hear people laughing, I could see people laughing. And the minute um, the show finished, I got, a, I, I got a private message and they said, uh, that was awesome, we want you back at as many shows as possible. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm the coolest guy on earth. And literally half an hour later, I'm not exaggerating, half an hour later, I logged on to do another show exactly the same set was getting silence yeah you know, word for I word s- i seen that happen um one of my first nights on um in zoom gigs basically i discovered all these i discovered the think it was displaced comedians and i fucking found all these gigs in america and yeah, I, was, yeah. I, was, I was i was practicing a set it didn't happen to me but i got this this guy done like a fucking vehement anti-trump set in a yeah. san francisco gig and it went down an absolute storm. Yeah. Same set, different setup down in New Orleans. Same guy. I seen him again, and I seen. I, I actually seen the minute he seen me. Like it was me. Oh fuck! This guy seen me do this <laughs> set a minute ago. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know how much of that played into how much he fucked up the set, but like, it was also it the fact be, that yeah. the fact that the, the gig was run by a veteran, and you know, mostly sort of veteran people that served in army comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, it went down terribly. I was literally the only person laughing, and I, I had that kind of false laugh because I was, I was, <laughs> it, it was like an echo of the laugh from the first time I heard it, you know. And like yeah, then, yeah. then I seen him do it in New York, and it, it did. I mean, it done better in New Orleans, obviously, but I think that that identity's confidence so much. Yeah. That, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was an interesting experience, like, and, and that that, yeah, that yeah. guy's that guy's never really warmed to me for some reason. As <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a quote know unquote why. friend on the scene, I yeah, and it, why, must, yeah. It, must, it must have been that I was there to witness his, you know, his, his hideous odyssey that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was destiny. Yeah, I mean, it does. It doesn't always depend on you. You know, maybe it's maybe it's the wrong audience. Maybe the audience. It's like there's there's a very very distant relative of mine. Um, it's, it's my Italian girlfriend's um, aunt's British husband's Scottish cousin or something weird like that. Right, who is it? So distant doesn't mean anything at all. Um, but it was something that I, I I actually got to meet him. He's a guy called Nick Revel. Have you heard of him? No, it's a hard story. Right, okay. No, but it's, and Nick Revel's great. He's been doing it for years. Um, he's been on, on television. He knows what he's doing. And because there was this extremely tenuous link, I thought, fuck it. And I got in touch with, you know, and I actually got to meet him after one of the shows. And he said, um, he said, one of the first shows he ever did 
he said that I was really, really irritated. I, I was in, I was really, really uptight because I could see a guy in a second row yawning all through <laughs> my set, right? And it was yeah. really winding me up and I was going, oh, for fuck's sake, you know. And it's fascinating because he said, I went backstage and there was a fellow comedian and he said, well done. And I said, you taking a piss? And he said, no, no, it's just well done. Couldn't you see them laughing? And he said, I was looking at that guy yawning. And he said, well, I can guarantee that 90% were laughing. Yeah. And you were fixating on that one person who was yawning. Number one, he wasn't typical. And number two, if he was yawning, it probably had nothing to do with you. It was probably thinking about something else. Maybe yeah. he was tired. Maybe he was stressed. And he it, said wasn't, it, it wasn't like he'd like spent that whole day like going through his work. Yeah. Can't wait to get to fuck up your night when he gets to the game. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh man, I've got, I'm going to bring yeah. out my best yawns and show this fucker how boring he is. You know, yeah. like it's but no, but it's, it's comedian snatch. No, but you take these things personally. Oh, you know absolutely, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you think it's sort of something to do with me. You know, and he said he just taught me that you know you shouldn't worry about because we we do we you kind of look on the warm negative thing. That this is what I don't like about YouTube and. Um, Facebook that I like just means you're my friend. Yeah, I mean anything, you know, people just do it because it's, it's their mate. Because I, I had this, it's really funny. I, I did a little experiment on Facebook years ago because I, I use Facebook to gauge jokes because I'm a terrible judge of what people find funny, right? I'm sure you've had this experience. Sometimes something, you, you think something's hilarious and no one likes it. And then something you think shit gets, you know, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there was once I, I put things on Facebook. I think are hilarious, and I get no reaction. And once I wrote, um, "I don't trust zoos; they're cagey," which I thought was, <laughs> and I got like twenty likes in one day. It's really yeah. weird. But and it's, so it's, it's it's just it's it's not it's not the best place to try out material. But I mean, a lot of us have been doing it. Um, especially before, like, we discovered the Zoom scene and stuff, just to test out ideas, yeah. you know? I, I, there's loads yeah. of kind of joke ideas that I had. I've, there's, there's so many jokes I actually thought up in the, the, the time that I wasn't performing that I, I, I kind of yeah. want to revisit. But like I said, I'm stuck to that fucking structure in my set. It's a thing I complain yeah, about yeah. on here a lot. It's, no, it's exactly the same with me, because people... You know, when I tell people I do comedy, they say, you know, where, where'd you get your ideas? I don't have problems with ideas. I have ideas every day. My problem is learning a set, you know, structuring yeah. a set, getting a set right. And that's like I said, I, I write, I'm not exaggerating, probably about 1% of the crap that I write ever gets heard by other people. Because there's the stuff that you throw away, the stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. And like I said, it's, it's not just about ideas. It's about, you know, putting things together, working them together and, you yeah. know, memorizing them. So... But we're talking uh, a minute ago. We're talking a minute ago about the, you know, like the, the, when you bomb for whatever reason. And I, yeah. if I, if I bomb, I automatically think it must be because I'm making a joke of Captain Tom Moore, the, the national hero, comparing it to Jimmy Savile, or it's because, <laughs> or it's because my my, 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 my Tinder material sounds sexist or misogynist, especially when you marry it to, a, you know, a, ironically know. to a toxic relationship. No, but these are the things that go through my head. I'm not saying this is a. <laughs> This is this is this is what happens. But rather than actually look at my performance, I'm I'm more likely yeah. to judge the audience based yeah. based on my suspicion that they are judging me. But really, what I should yeah. be doing is, well, look at how you're fucking selling the jokes. They're all good jokes. You just didn't sell them that time. You know? Oh yeah, a lot of it's delivery stuff like yeah. that. You know, because um, years ago, someone told me that um, this was before the internet explosion. He said I, I used to record every show that I did, right, to see what was working and what wasn't. Because when you're up there. 
you know, and with, with Zoom, it's a bit different, but you know, when you're up there on stage, it's such an adrenaline rush. You, you, you can't really yeah. gauge what's working and what isn't working. So he said, I, I used to record myself and then leave it for a day so that my brain was completely objective, empty my head and watch it again. And it's, it's fascinating what works and what doesn't. And something that works, you can push it a bit further. You know, it's, also, it's also fascinating what the audience pick up on. Yeah. It's well like, I, I, like I worry about stuff like that, even doing Zoom. Like, I, you know, I do end my set with the shit that's been written in my hand. Yeah. Like with the BDSM, dog and toxic relationship, gaslight, unwinking written in my hand. Well, but see, <laughs> I, I'll freak out, right? I'll freak out if, if I've dropped dog and joke. And it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll cause a, like, a sort of, a mechanical failure in my brain. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't do the dog and joke. Somebody's going to notice yeah. if I say dog and they'll be like, what happened to the dog and joke? And it's like, yeah, nobody gives yeah. a fuck. Do you know what I mean? Well, all, all, all they need to know is that I've done, done a bunch of jokes about mad kinky shit and then I reference it at the end. But I worry if, I, if yeah, any yeah. one of those jokes aren't in my set. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, yeah, there's a guy that I know. Um, he's very good. Italian comedian, Claudio Shara. And um, he's, he's great. And he told me, he said, remember that the audience doesn't know your set and they don't care about your yep. set as long as you entertain them. And he said, if you have a seven minute set, he said, prepare seven minutes, but you might not get through it because things are going to happen. And when things happen, react to them. It's because yeah. the worst thing is, is if something happens, like somebody shouts at you and the, 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 the comic panics and he just goes into his routine. He says, do the opposite, talk to them. And anything that you don't use, it doesn't matter because they don't know. And yeah. you can keep it for next time. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like it's thrown away. Um, and, um, you know, um, this, this thing of like trying to remember all your lines, it doesn't really matter. And the last month I've been pushing myself a bit and I haven't been preparing methodically every line. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when I first started doing it, um, I used to, I'm not exaggerating. I used to go through my material 40 times a day. Right. Yeah, because I was so scared. I mean, I wouldn't do every single word 40 times a day, but I do a mental map. You know, um, masturbation, spice girls, paedophilia. <laughs> masturbation, spice girls, which doesn't help really. And um, what, what I do now, I've, I've started doing it. I'm not sure I could pull it off live, but I do it with Zoom. And just like an hour before, I think, oh, you know, what's been in the news or what do I want to chat about? And I've, I've tried to get a little bit more, more open with it, you know, because it's, it's not like a monologue where you have to do everything perfectly, you know, because th there was one Italian guy, um, Stefano Villanese, and he did a show, he, he did like a routine in English, and he's very good, and he was particularly good because it's not easy to do stand-up in a foreign language. Yeah. Well, um, they, say, they say actually the mark of fluency has been able to joke in another language. Yeah. Yeah, I think, because um, I work with languages and I'm absolutely convinced that the hardest things to translate are comedy and poetry. Yeah. Because you just lose it. Yeah. You know, you lose everything. And also, um, what, sense of humour is a very national thing in the same way that it's personal. What, what's funny for an Italian is not necessarily funny um, for an English person. Um, and also the language, I mean, the English language is wonderful for comedy because it is so flexible, you know, with, with English, I, I speak German, German is incredibly rigid as a language, yeah. you can't do very much with it. One word has one meaning, the structure is always the same. 
And the great thing about English is you can completely change the meaning with just a comma. Just I, th- I think I think that, that there's there's so many different um, dialects and things like that for English yeah, as well. I don't know. How, I, I genuinely don't know how it works for other languages, but I know there's a lot of different dialects, different in, countries yeah. for English. So it's adaptability well, about, feeds into that in, sense of humour thing. Well, in in England alone, there are about two thousand dialects, but then there's America, yeah. Canada, New Zealand, yeah. Australia. Because there was um, there, there's an Italian guy that I know, and we 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 have we're we're, we're a double act, right? We we have a show that we do together. And the way that it worked is that apart from the improv and his stand-up, because you have to write your stand-up, you can't write stand-up for somebody else. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote the show, but I didn't write it methodically. What I did was over the years, I've written hundreds of sketches and I picked out my favorite 10 for the show. So I wrote it, but I didn't write it in the way that you would write a play. Yeah. And I wrote all the sketches in English, right? Because it's my first language. And this was before I got into performing in Italian. And I was surprised how much of it worked. There was one sketch that we just gave up on. We we were racking our brains for the whole afternoon. And it's a sketch about masturbation. And um, what makes it funny is that it's an Oxford professor and he's using the most vulgar slang about masturbation, but he's doing it in a sort of Oxford professor voice, you see what I mean? Yeah, it's very yeah. pushy, you know, like that. And um, it's very funny. And in we, we couldn't translate it because the character doesn't exist. The sort of dotty Oxford <coughs> professor, they don't have it. And we did we couldn't find, he's, he's mother tongue Italian. And he yeah. has, he's, he's like me, he has a good sense of humor. And we, we genuinely couldn't find enough expressions for masturbation in the Italian language. Right, well. Right. Um, if, if you go on, you know, if you go onto the Urban Dictionary on the internet, type in masturbation, and it's hilarious because there are 50 expressions and they're so vivid yeah. and they're so extreme. And in Italian, they don't exist. So you can just keep saying wank, which is not funny. Or you can translate them, but it doesn't work because the Italian language, it's very, it's very prolix. It has too many adjectives and prepositions and stuff like that. So we, we completely gave up with that sketch. You just, we just couldn't translate it. But interestingly, though, things like visual comedy, like Laurel and yeah. or Charlie, Charles Chapman or Mr. Yeah, Bean, yeah. translates across all yeah. um, the, languages. Uh, yeah, the, the only two modern or relatively modern English comedians that they love on the continent, and I know because I've been around the continent, um, are the two ones that I fucking hate. It's uh, <laughs> Mr. Bean Mr. Bean and Benny Hill. <laughs> I think yeah, but both... Benny Hill's like respected worldwide, everywhere apart from England, <laughs> it's mental. Yeah, yeah, but you, you know why? You know why it's popular? Because... Um, Number one, there's no language, so you don't have yeah. the translation problem. But number two, um, it doesn't have any cultural background. It's just slapstick, so it yeah. works in any language, you know. Because yeah. um, I, um, I, I once bought the book of Lenny Bruce's um, routines. This was before YouTube, yeah. and there was a book. And I thought, oh, my God, Lenny Bruce, he's going to be awesome. And I didn't understand a word of it. Yeah, his, his, his stuff's aged very badly. It was more his, like, it was more what he, quote-unquote, achieved that matters yeah. now, you know? It's, yeah. it's, it's more the boundaries that he broke. The, even the boundaries yeah. that he broke are beginning to look quaint. Oh, yeah. You know? He was imprisoned, man. Yeah, yeah. No, if I, they, they said it was for drugs, but everybody was taking drugs. and nothing to do with that. It's because he had a yeah. big mouth. 
And the, the problem with uh, Lenny Bruce is that it's, it's so based in that context, you know, the history, um, the society. If, if you're not an expert on that period, you don't understand it, you know. It's like in Italy, there's an Italian um, comic actor, Toto. Right? I don't know if you've heard of him. Toto and um, he, my, my my girlfriend loves him, and I don't understand him because it's all based in Naples in the 1950s. <laughs> right? And he, he, number one, he talks Neapolitan, right? So it's uh, like listening to a dialect. So I don't get the language. But number two, I genuinely don't understand what he's satirizing. It's like it's like reading a parody. It's, it's like watching a parody when you haven't seen the original play. So the only thing, literally the only thing I know about him that he's probably not that big in, in, in Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> they love him. They love him. Down there. But uh, no, you know what I mean? And the, the thing about Mr. B and Benny Hill is that there's no cultural reference point yeah. that you need to understand to get it. You know, I mean, Bill Hicks, you know, I, I love Bill Hicks because I remember the period, so I know what he's talking about. Yeah, me too, so, man. You know, so. I think but even like, you know, kids today, they don't appreciate Bill Hicks for much the same reason that we don't appreciate Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. Bill, Bill Hicks, like, Bill Hicks opened up, up in mass media a lot of things that we yeah. should have been thinking about that, that weren't being discussed. Because oh, there yeah. was no internet. There was no, there was no, um, there was nobody really railing against the system like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. To, to the extent that he was, he was very angry and very, very oh, yeah, passionate and, and very right, you know? Like, yeah. Like a lot of stuff, like the Waco stuff, even at the time, actually, I'll be honest, I didn't understand why he was, you know, wasting his time hanging about Waco and stuff. I just remember reading about yeah. it and being like, well, he's camped out there for a month watching the call. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? But when you look at when you look at it now in a historical context, you realise that he was absolutely outraged at what the FBI oh, yeah. were doing. He didn't agree with the Branch Davidians. Yeah, but you yeah. could see what the, the government destroying that, the yeah, lens yeah. that the governments were going to, you know, to, it was, oh, it was yeah. horrible, you know? Yeah, very, very articulate as yeah, well, yeah. you know, you could follow him, follow his arguments, yeah. No, yeah. He, was, he was great, yeah, I've got some of his, uh, yeah, but he's, he's like one of these milestones, isn't he now, Bill mm. Hicks, you know, which is strange, because yeah. at the time he wasn't particularly popular, right, he was more popular here than in America. Yeah, I mean, you, I, don't, you I, mean I, I actually seen a YouTube video last night, um, just going rolling through YouTube, and I've looked at it, but it was like David Letterman appearances, Bill Hicks, 19, yeah. 1984. Yeah. 1991 so he must he must have got like a little bit of a foot in the door there you know but even, yeah. even by, by the time he died though like um, his last appearance in letterman didn't uh, didn't go out at the time yeah because it was, yeah, it was too banned, controversial yeah 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 i heard about that which is which is strange because i read i actually read it i read the script and it's really not very controversial yeah. maybe, maybe because of the time whatever but maybe the, it was that but I, th I think I think that was a case of the networks looking at the wider implications of somebody like Bill yeah, Hicks and yeah. what he was what he was managing to achieve. Yeah, and yeah. they were they were basically you know trying to silence him, you know. Like, well, I mean the classic the classic example is Johnny Rotten, you know, because when Johnny Rotten said "God saves the Queen," they hated him for it, and he actually got um he got beaten up, he got his face slashed. Yeah. By um you know by by great British public, and nowadays everything John John Lydon said, everybody agrees with it now. Yeah. Um, and uh, pe people even study the Sex Pistols when well, they study the history of England. You know? well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they're quite ready to vote Trump yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd vote for John Lydon. I think he'd do a good job. No, but he, I love. I love Johnny. Yeah, but has, he was in the newspapers recently for telling people that he should. They should vote Trump. Yeah, which, good for him. Yeah, is, um, that's what he believes. 
Yeah, but yeah. it's... I don't agree problem. with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. Uh, that's, that's free speech, you know. When, when people say they're open-minded, what they normally mean is they have strong opinions and they like it when other people have the same opinions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You, you, you express just, something different. Just, Johnny, Johnny, John Lydon was the last person on earth I would have expected to, you know, encourage voting for Trump. Oh, that's, yeah. that's all, you know. Yeah, but if that's how he feels, you know, it's up to him, isn't it? So, yeah. Now, one, one of my favourite uh, John Lydon quotes was when um, he brought back the Sex Pistols, and it, he always said with the Pistols it was Johnny Rotten, and on his own it was John Lydon. And um, when he brought back the Pistols, they said there was an interview. said, "What do I call you now? Do I call you John Lydon or Johnny Rotten?" And he said, you can call me Sir. <laughs> yeah, man. I think he's got a sequel to uh, No Irish, No Blacks, No Dogs. I've not yeah. read yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anger is an energy. Yeah. Is, is, that, is, that, is that the book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's another one That's out now. Blacks Still Rise. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no Irish, No Blacks, No Dogs. I thought it was uh, far worse than I think the new one's much better. Yeah, honestly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's much better, partly because the original one didn't have any flow. There were too many different voices and there was no chronology. Yeah. Right. Um, and I was also, read it, so I don't know. Really it was all like somebody else talking and then, and it, it was very sort of reminiscing. You could tell it wasn't really yeah. structured. And this one is, it's much more structured and it doesn't just talk about the pistols because it's like the Beatles, you know, everybody talks about the Beatles. They don't talk about the other periods of their lives, yeah. which at this point are actually more interesting, you know, and it's, it's great because it does his whole life. It does all like, um, it, even um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here when he did that. Yeah, that was weird, that man. That was so strange. Yeah. I, I watched all of that series because John Lydon was on it. Yeah, a lot of people do. But yeah. I, and I actually specifically remember like one of the late night ones where Peter Andre was telling Jordan that if they get married, they'd make a lot of money. Like that was the conversation yeah. they were having, and it got broadcast. And then oh, you know yeah. they went and get married and made a lot of money, and everybody's like, "Oh, Peter Andre and Jordan." And you're oh like, God, fuck, yeah. man! Everywhere. John John Lydon's sitting there going, "Peter assholes, <laughs> <laughs> fucking this total mind fuck, man." Yeah. No, I mean, he, he even he knew all about Jimmy Savile. You probably know that, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. So did so did people like. Um, uh, Jerry Sadovich and stuff. I mean, it was it was an open secret, you know. Oh yeah. 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 There was all there was there was, there was a there was a um, Louis Theroux documentary that was made um, obviously at the time, you know, when Jim when Jimmy met um, Louis or vice versa. Yeah. But then there was the off like basically the the bits that hadn't made the original documentary, and they were absolutely shocking. Like there was oh, women yeah. trying opening doors, and he's going to open the door and try to touch their legs, and then. He's oh, going to the BBC yeah, yeah. house and fucking stripping down yeah, to his chimney or not? It was, it's you were like, yeah. you just didn't see what this guy was. <laughs> I mean, like, what? Um, it's, it's fascinating, though. It's also partly to do with a period because uh, people were not educated. Um, I remember when, when I was at school, this must have been about 82. And um, there was one teacher that I just didn't like. I, I, was, I was about eight years old. Nine, yeah. And... Um, there was just something strange about him. I never liked him. And yeah. I know now that he was, um, he was a pervert because he, he used to ask little girls to stay behind after school. He, he never asked little boys. It was always little girls. And he asked them to stay behind to help him clean up oh, um, yeah. school. And they used to come in the next day and say, oh, he's so funny. He puts his hands on our titties. He puts his hands on our bot-bots. And like mm -hmm. nowadays, you know, you would, you'd lose your job and the use of your legs, probably. 
Um, but in those days, we, we genuinely didn't know. We, we even thought it was funny. We thought it was like a funny game he was playing. Do you know what I mean? So, it's, I think um, Jimmy Savile's case, I mean, like I make a joke about it, obviously, comparing to Captain Tom Moore. But, like, I mean, he did, he did know how to work the police force. He, he was yeah, yeah. ingratiated with royals. He was ingratiated yeah, yeah. in Rome. He, he was play it. In, I mean, I think there's a lot more to his story than just people writing him off as a chancellor, you know? Yeah. Like, there's a lot more to it, you know? Like, oh, yeah, it'll yeah. never come out, like, because it's just too damaging. Uh, people he's oh. connected to and there, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, he played it well, you know, this sort of lovable old eccentric and all the yeah. charity work, you know, and that sort of stuff. So it was really quite shocking, wasn't it? Yeah. But it's, um, I was left an indelible mark on in our psyche. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to take this chance to apologise personally comedy. to Captain Sir Tom Moore and say I don't genuinely see you as like Jimmy Savile, so I know you're <laughs> no threat to women. What a star. I love that joke, but it's became one of my best jokes, but people are like, when I first thought of it, everybody I told it is like, you can't say that! It's Captain yes, Tom can. Moore! Like, yes, you can. <laughs> My, one of my favourite ever jokes. Talking about the NHS and the pop charts, I'll be right. You've seen this shit, man. <laughs> yeah, but I love that stuff. Fool me, my... me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, but that again, I mean, it's fascinating. It's like paedophilia in, in comedy. Like, you know, when I was growing up, you just didn't talk about it. Now it's, it's all over the news. And it's, it's even like a lot of comedians talk about it. I talk about it all the time. I think it's funny. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very sensitive subject, though. I mean, you have to. Yeah, I know. Um, but it's, I mean, uh, it's, it's, the whole thing's changed, though. It's like sex, you know, because when I was a kid, any, anything sexual was taboo. It was totally taboo. Um, and I was very unfortunate because um, when I was 15, when you start developing a sexuality, um, it was absolutely drummed into us that if you had any interest in sex, A, you were a pervert, you were filthy, you were dirty, and you should be ashamed of yourself. And B, best of all, you were a misogynist, you hated women, yeah. right? So if, if you looked at pornography, it wasn't because you're interested in sex, it's because you hated women and wanted and, to degrade them. And wanted them subjugated in some way, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was hard. I actually had uh, an RE teacher at school, religious education, and he said, not even as an opinion, but as a fact, you know, you, you can present something as an opinion, some people argue, whatever. He said that masturbation is a sign of Satan, and if Oof. you touch yourself, you're, you're letting the devil into your life, which you say now, and it's funny, but, you know, to say it in 1987 to a group of 15-year-old boys, I think is quite sick. And I'm sure he was getting a bit of a perverse little kick out of saying it, you know. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's control, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's the opposite. People talk about it. In fact, people talk a bit too much, actually, you know. Because like, in, in right. Hmm? A bit sex? Um, no, touching yourself. Because <laughs> I, I living in Rome, right, stand-up comedy is a bit behind the times and basically women it's, it's normally women complaining about their ex or men talking about the last time they they masturbated it's <laughs> basically what it is you know, so. well, a bit i was doing that, wanking yeah. jokes 10 years ago so yeah. well, i think everybody always wanks especially those last nine months 
Oh, we've had a bit more time, haven't we? Yeah. Yep. Came on our hands. Right, right in this with my free hand. So. <laughs> I actually didn't like. I've, I've got like about four jokes about masturbation in my set now. But it's literally I, born of lockdown. Yeah. yeah, but all with the Spice Girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing Jerry wrong. was my one, by the way. Just take this chance to tell you, I like no, Jerry. No, it was uh, Melanie C. Melanie C. Yeah, I know me. that. <laughs> definitely, definitely, yeah. I, I Jerry, think, Jerry I think, seems uh, hot and crazy enough for me, man. She, she, she straddles the hot, crazy axis just right. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think Jerry got a bit of splashback occasionally, but um, no, nah, she's no nah, the the one. Uh, uh, scary never did it for me. You know, scary. I never saw, actually, I, I never saw any of them were particularly um, sexy. I don't think they were trying to be sexy. But, I thought that was no, a whole point. I bet it was empowerment, wasn't it? You know? Well, yeah, well, basically it means that um, you could jerk off and not feel guilty about it. Yeah, but also, I mean, people saw, people saw them as role models as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually... Um, Girl power and stuff. Oh, I yeah. Fucking, the, the I guy. fucking loved Space Up Your Life thing. It's an amazing song. It's great, yeah. It's great. No, but um, the I saw a documentary about the early Spice Girls. Um, and um, the guy who put them together was Yeah, Simon genius. something, wasn't it? Simon something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Simon Weston. I Simon think. Weston, yeah, yeah. Simon Weston. Um, but anyway, the, the guy who put them together was a genius. Because if you watch that documentary, you can recognize the five girls that he chose as the Spice Girls and none of them look like a pop singer. None, cer certainly not Mel C. I mean, you look at Mel C now, she's gorgeous, but there she, she looked like a PE teacher. Yeah. Right? She, she looked like a fitness instructor. And, and even um, Victoria was probably the best looking, but even she was nothing special. She, she looked a bit like a duck, yeah. she had a sort of duck mouth, you know, and Jerry was a bit too old. I remember um, um, after the Space Girls split up, there was like a big sort of media generated chart, chart war. And it was like a song with her and I think Dane Bivers and like Groovejet, fucking Spiller Groovejet, what was going to be number one? And I'm like, well, I'll spare you the suspense right now. It's not going to be fucking Victoria Beckham. <laughs> that <laughs> that album. You still, you still hear that song all the time, Groovejet. You fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, but it's just, uh, uh, no, Mel C was the only one really with a solo career because she was the only one with any talent. She was the only yeah. one with any musical commitment, the others. But um, the, like I said, if you, if you watch this interview, uh, this documentary, it's incredible because they're not obvious choices. And the whole point about the Spice Girls was that they were not supermodels. That was what yeah. made them cool. You could relate. Yeah, like just average girls, like yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they were slightly. I've just, just realised right, we tried to stop, stop, stop talking about the space. <laughs> just when I thought I was out, yeah. you pulled me back in. Like <laughs> I don't know how he got onto this. So he's, I can't help it, you know. So I actually, just, I, I've always wondered, like, um, with your name, your Monkhouse, any relation? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, is it? That's a good question. That's a good question. The answer is. Um, uh, no, yes, and no. Right, okay. More no than yes. Is you'll have to well, no, people, expand on that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, people often ask me because um, it's such a rare name. Yeah. You know, like there, there was a girl at school and she was called Milligan and nobody said, oh, Spike Milligan. Yeah. You, know, you don't think about it because it's such a rare name. And also because he was so successful, he's more successful than me. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's more than me. And, um, the, uh, it's because he was a very, very 
distant relative of my father, but it was very relative. It, it was very distant, and it's my stepfather, so it's not even right. blood. Right, 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 right. So it doesn't really mean anything. Also, because I think after you reach, after you reach a certain degree, you're not really related. Or everybody's related. Totally, yeah. It doesn't mean anything. It's like there used to be this obsession with going back in family trees, like you know, my great grandfather or my uncle's sisters, husbands, incestuous yeah, relations. Yeah. It was turns a, out was Danny Dyer's related to Henry VIII. No, that shit. Yeah, yeah you know, so, so yeah, you're, you're still a wanker. So who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. but um, well, I mean, I, I really like Bob Monkhouse. Actually, I think he's. I love Bob Monkhouse. Thank you. Thank Consummate professional. I, awesome. I remember once I even watched like a documentary about his fucking VHS tapes bringing his tools up. Yeah. Like it was this yeah. great documentary about how he taped loads of shit off the TV that you could only get from Bob Monkhouse's shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. He, he taped everything. Yeah, yeah. But Bob Monkhouse, um, it's very strange um, because uh, he he was a fantastic stand-up. Yeah. But he refused to have it recorded until towards the end of his life. Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating. Um, basically, Bob Monkhouse, he was almost a dirty word. He was like slimy. I think that's what happens when you look like you're made of polyester. You know? <laughs> like, but I mean, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was one of the best stand-ups we've ever had in this country. He know? was awesome. He was yeah, awesome. And he was a fucking phenomenal joke writer as well. Oh yeah, yeah, just a joke. Um, yeah, this whole—it's it's like yeah, a really like, you know, approach. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like you know, athletes. You know, if you're passionate about being an athlete, you work out every day, no matter what. He was the same with comedy. Yeah. Even if he wasn't on telly or touring, he used to write. You know, and, and the famous story where he lost his book of jokes, which is horrible. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I always thought you know, slimy game show host. And then a friend of mine, he said, no, no, you're into comedy. You should watch his live DVD. I said, get out of here. And um, he said, no, no, no. And we had absolutely nothing to do. And he put on Bob Monkhouse Live and Forbidden. Have, have you seen that one? I'm not sure. I, I know I've watched some of his stand-up routines, but I haven't. Oh, you know, some, I haven't actually watched any since I started doing comedy, and I probably should. This one, um, there are two. There's Live and Forbidden, and Monkhouse exposes himself. Live and Forbidden is brilliant, and it's the one I saw. And after 30 seconds, I was just pissing myself. I thought, God, this guy is great. Yeah. It's it's almost tiring because he's just it's like a machine gun coming out with joke after joke after joke. Yeah. And he, he used to do this thing that I thought was really really clever. Um, it was like word association, but it was gag association. Yeah. So he, he said to someone in the audience, you say a word, you say another word. And he'd go from one word to the other, but not with words, with, with gags. Yeah. And um, I, I have to be honest, not every gag was, was gold. Yeah. But the ability to do that was incredible. And the ability to do it in front of an audience, you know, being filmed for telly. Um, yeah. Really, really strong, strong performer, you know. Well, I remember seeing another documentary as well about his last gig. And it was like some working men's club up in the north. Yeah. And the, the audience was literally a who's who. Uh, Comedy, both alternative and mainstream. There's um, there's a very good one that I used to have on VHS. I don't know if it's on DVD. An audience with Bob Monkhouse. Yeah, I've seen that. That's very good. Yeah, there's a load of celebrities in the audience there. Yeah, there's that one I like, uh, Live and Forbidden. Monkhouse exposed himself is good as well, but it's a bit more leisurely. It's it's almost sort of Peter Yustinov, you know, uh, raconteur yeah. having a chat. This one is just it's like uh, he's just he's so on form. 
know, I, remember, just, I remember like in the year, in the few years before he died, he's at appearances and chat shows and stuff like that were always interesting. You know? Yeah. So my oh yeah. Making an Hello. Yeah, I got cats. Well, my my cat's very shy. Yeah. He's going to think. Walk onto his computer in a minute. Yeah. It took me six months to develop a relationship with this cat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No, um, so, have you got any other influences in your comedy? Um, influences. Um, no, I mean, like I said, the first show I liked was uh, the young ones. The young ones really knocked me out. I, I was lucky because I saw it when it first came out. Because um, when, when I was growing up, I've always been into comedy. I liked Laurel and Hardy, but Laurel and Hardy are universal. Everybody likes them. And then I liked um, uh, Monty Python, but I was yeah. too young to understand it. I just liked the idea of something that was a bit out there. I didn't really yeah. get you know, what it meant. The Young Ones was the first show that I really loved. I was like 10 years old. I just loved the energy. You know, mm -hmm. it was a sitcom, but it wasn't. It was more like a cartoon. It was just all over the place. Well, it was the elements of all sorts of things. It was like a sketch show, it was a live it show, was, it was it music. Everything. And you know, yeah. Alexis Sale, like, yeah, the, the animation, there was so much in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the live bands were very good. They had Motorhead, yeah. they had Madness. They had a young Nina Cherry in one yeah, episode. I didn't Wow, yeah, yeah, uh, Rip, Rip and Panic. It's in the it's in the fourth yeah. episode. Um, you can hardly recognise her. She, but it's, it's still her. Yeah. I know, but I, I loved it because it was so. It was all over the place. You know, you, you'd start watching, and it would start like a sitcom, and then you'd have a live band. You'd have puppets. You know, mm. you'd you'd have wedged in sketches. You you even had little subliminal bits popping up, and you have to remember this was before the video. Yeah. Right. And the, nowadays with videos, they love having little Easter eggs, things like that. But in those days, they didn't. And you can watch it on slow motion and see little bits, you know. I mean, that, that's why I don't like Bottom. I think Bottom is extremely boring. It's just right. That was, that was like lowest common denominator. Um, yeah, I, I never got it, into it. I, I, I mean, that was, was beloved and stuff, but I, I, was, I, was, I was never a big fan. I mean, I like the one where they tried to play chess with ketchup bottles and shit. Oh, like, yeah, it's but, fun, yeah. but there's just nothing yeah. going on. I always got the impression they wrote Bottom there in one weekend with a crate of beer and a packet of cigarettes. But it, was, it was also like Ed Edinson and um, Rick yeah. Mayall unrestrained and not really collaborating with anybody else, yeah. you know? But it was just, it just gets boring after a while. I mean, the young mm -hmm. ones was, because um, the great thing about the young ones was they had all the elements of a sitcom because they had characters and they had a bit of story. And Ben Elton was kind of responsible for the story element yeah. because the, the first episode of the young ones was written without him and they presented it to the bbc and they said we like this but we can't do it it's a cartoon it's not a sitcom yeah. and they remembered ben elton who was younger and they gave it to him and over one weekend he transformed it into something that could actually be made because uh, ben elton he, he comes from a very sort of strong tradition of you know sitcom and he, he studied drama and theater well, i mean and the, the effect he had in blackadder speaks to that you know yeah oh I mean, yeah blackadder Black well first then. season was shit you know well, i mean it was all right but it, it was, was it different was, it was a different thing it was a different it show was, it, was, it was rubbish compared to the rest of them though i mean it, like, it was I, I don't even compare it um that there was a short story by richard Matteson that was made into a film and they said what do you think of the film and he said i can't say because it's too different they just taken the idea and changed it completely and it's the same is with that Black like Adam. the amiga I'm... man hmm? is that the amiga man 
The Wicker Man. Oh, the, this, the, the second Wicker Man. That was horrible. No, no, no sorry. Yeah, the Wicker Tree. No, no. I mean, the Omega Man, the one with Charlton Heston that was based on I Am Legend. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, that was it. There was that, and there was, I thought you said the Wicker Man, sorry. That's my Scottish accent. Um, no, no, the other one was a vanishing act, no, disappearing act, and they, they turned it into a Twilight Zone, and they just completely changed the story. It was the, it was the idea of things disappearing, and that was it. And it's, it's the same with Blackadder, because I think the first series of Blackadder is really funny. I just think yeah, it's not... There's funny it's stuff in it, it's just, it's just not as... Um... It's not as slick. It's, it's, it's a not series. as much of a sitcom as, as no. the rest of them. No, exactly. It's, it's not really a sitcom. It's a series of funny scenes, mm. right? Without much story and without much, and also the sort of outer, the, the external shots, you lose the concentration of the sitcom. Yeah. But I think I think it's funny. I couldn't watch it again and again. Mm. But yeah. that was a big problem with BBC sitcoms in the 80s and 70s even. When they'd done outdoor yeah. shots, it was too much of a mismatch for the indoors video. Yeah. No, it's like they used film yeah, for outdoors, yeah. but video for in- indoors, and it just it just too much of a disconnect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they're they're so much more expensive to do yeah. outdoor shots, and they they'd normally do them all in one day, and then sort of spread them to give the audience the impression it yeah. was inner and outer. But it's it's like when they do these like films of porridge, or even the Laura yeah. and Hardy films. They, yeah. they, they, I like they, the lads and fucking Steptoe Son and all all those films that hit the I cinema in the seventies. I didn't like that film Steptoe Son. I thought it was a bit. Huh? Um, I find it hard to enjoy, you know, because even lower uh, than I, th- th- I think I think all of them lost something with the, totally. with the big production, you know. Totally, totally. It's like um, Laurel and Hardy. The the twenty minute talk is a brilliant. They're just so intense. It's like a pressure cooker. And when, when they did the longer films, they couldn't do that for ninety minutes. Yeah. So it's it's almost like watching two films, you know, the funny scenes with Stan and Ollie, and then you know the drama and the romance and the musical. It, it, it's the same with these films, you know, these sitcoms made into films, or mm. or like when when they have friends visit London, you know, it's just it's a different. Um, well, the, momentum. The, the the like the lads film had like a subplot where one of them was trying to fuck off with the other one's wife and stuff, and you're like, that's not how the like yeah, the lads work. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you you have to do that. You have to do that, or you can't. Um, yeah. No, you can't sustain a film, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like, Fault, you know, Forty Towers. They could never make a film of Forty Towers. This wouldn't work. Yeah. But, um, well, I mean, I want to say, like, I've I've got on your back before about the negative attitude and low energy <laughs> that doesn't sustain a 10-minute set, but I've completely enjoyed yeah. talking to you for well over an hour now, so <laughs> we're, we're the exception to the, fe- the feature film rule. <laughs> I, I tried actually because uh, people are, I, I'm, I'm known for my sort of negative attitude. Yeah. I, I once tried to be positive and ingratiate myself all right at the back yeah. and it was just cringeworthy. So I, I think, I think, I think, no, I think it's, it's, it's the energy, the negative attitude is good to just put up the energy, you know, but you've sustained I, your energy um, well throughout this chat. I've really enjoyed the chat. Um, yeah, me too. Me too. Cheers, man. That's cool. But, um, all right, well, I'm just going to wrap it up. Have you got anything you'd like to plug? anything coming up that you'd like to um, like I said the Farm Comedy Club um, check, check you which out hopefully hopefully we'll get it online we'll get a Zoom gig going um, because apparently there's there's some kind of virus going around yeah I've heard that it's... yeah Let, let's hope it's nothing serious it won't affect our day to day lives so um, yeah Farm Comedy Club if you could check us out on Facebook and Instagram cool, cool. Right. otherwise it's just me and if, have you got any plans for um, what live gigs anytime soon 
Um, anything that happens in Rome, I mean, like, like I said, it's not really up to me. It depends if things get organised. Um, we are trying to do Farm Comedy Club. We, we had two venues, but they both pulled out on us. Right. Um, there was one pub and they just said no because it's too many people. And there was a sort of restaurant place, which they were very excited. But with our classic luck, um, they had a, a mega clamp down lockdown all over again the same week we were going to use it it's not looking it's not looking yeah. right yeah i mean it's out of our hands unfortunately as soon well, as hopefully, people see hopefully you get to take to the stage again soon and you can come back on and yep. tell us about it in the new year and uh, thanks Definitely. for coming on today michael it's been an absolute right, pleasure. pleasure thanks for putting up with me for an hour <laughs> that's cool man see you later Cheers. man see you man mana mana do 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 mana mana do 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 Phenomena. <laughs>